0: Most of the problems with plant foods and these chemicals that they have, these defense chemicals, are on the human gut. On this week's podcast, I'm pretty excited in a perhaps somewhat mischievous way to talk about oatmeal. Yes, it's an entire podcast about oatmeal. Because I did some social media content, it got a ton of engagement, and there were a lot of people up in arms saying, how can you criticize oatmeal? Oatmeal is so great, but I just don't think oats are good for humans, and I will talk about that in this podcast. Many of the things I learned in this podcast were new to me. It was interesting to see that many heavy metals concentrate in grains, like cacao. I also talk about chocolate in this podcast, so if you like chocolate and oatmeal, this podcast is gonna break your heart. And I also learned about heavy metal accumulation in leafy greens, something I hadn't thought about, but I think it creates a stronger argument around why meat and organs, fruit, honey, raw dairy, and animal-based diet, in my mind, continue to be some of the most nutrient-rich and least toxic foods on the planet and making a lot of your diet as grains, like oats, or leafy greens, or even fish, high in heavy metals, is not a good idea for us long term. So enjoy this podcast about oatmeal. There's some science in there, but generally it's pretty high level about why this food is not good for humans. But many of the reasons oatmeal is not good for humans are applicable to so many other things that I think you should avoid in your diet, grains, leafy greens, et cetera. So enjoy this one. Also wanna give a shout out to my sponsors who make this podcast possible. Start with Bond Charge. That's B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E.com. That means good charge. And you can find them at bondcharge.com. They make EMF-reducing earbuds, EMF-blocking mats for your computer, which I use when I'm traveling. They're super helpful. They make blue light-blocking glasses, and they have all sorts of other good products, like red lights, which kind of help us live in the modern world. When I am out and about in my life or when I'm watching my team I see people with laptops on their lap all the time, and I think that is an easily solved problem. If you actually check the amount of EMF coming off the bottom of your laptop, it's significant, which is why I'm a huge fan of their EMF-protecting laptop mats. I always use them. I gave them to members of my team so that they can work with their laptops on their lap. But if you work with your laptop in your lap or know someone who does, check them out at bondcharge.com. That's B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E.com. Use the code CarnivoreMD to save 15% off. Also love my friends at Zero Acre. This podcast is sponsored by them. They are found at zeroacre.com. dot ecom Now, many of you may have heard that I threw Chipotle under the bus and noticed that they were using rice bran oil and the amount of rice you would have to eat to get that amount of rice bran oil was insane. But interestingly, Chipotle is now supporting Zero Acre and we're hoping that we're gonna see Zero Acre oils in many other fast food restaurants and get some of the seed oils, like rice bran oil, out of them. And I love what Zero Acre's doing. They're making a cultured oil, which is very low linoleic acid. They're packaging it in oxidation-resistant packaging, which is dark, infinitely recyclable aluminum, blocking UV light and preventing the oxidation. And they have an amazing blog where you can read all about why seed oils are harmful for humans. They've made a great contribution to the space just in the fact that they're contributing the information around this. You can find that at zeroacre.com. If you want to pick up some of their zero acre cultured oil, which is very low in linoleic acid, you can use the code Paul for a unique discount over there. But I love the folks at Zero Acre, and you should definitely head over to their website and at least read the white papers on why seed oils are making you fat and how they cause cardiovascular disease. Also want to give a shout out to my friends at earthrunners.com. I've been getting really interested in grounding recently, and I love what Earthrunners is doing. They're making a very basic harache sandal, which is kind of this anthropologic, ethnographic, evolutionarily consistent design, with a grounding plug and conductive laces, so that when you are walking on the earth with these, and you can actually test this, you are still grounded. You can listen to the grounding episode with Clint Ober if you're more interested in the grounding stuff, but if you're out and about and you're hiking somewhere where you might get a thorn in your foot, earthrunners are the answer. So you can find them at earthrunners.com. You can use the code carnivore, for, 10, for 10% off your order. And on your next hike, you will both have minimal footwear, which allows your foot to get strong, all those little muscles, and you will be connected to the earth, which I increasingly believe is very beneficial for us as humans. This is something that we have always done as humans and only recently have become so separated from the earth in our daily lives. So go to earthrunners.com, use the code carnivore for 10% off your order, onto the podcast. Oatmeal, I never thought that that word, that that food would be so controversial. But I did some content about oatmeal and it got millions of views. The reel I did on oatmeal and why I wasn't a fan, which is really just the tip of the iceberg, got over 9 million views as an Instagram reel, probably over 10 million views between all the platforms, YouTube, TikTok, whatever. So clearly people are either triggered by oatmeal, they want it to be healthy, they love their oatmeal, So I thought, let's just pour some gasoline on the fire and do a whole podcast about oatmeal, and oats specifically, and why I'm not a fan. So if you're watching this video on YouTube, you can tell I'm traveling. I don't have my normal background, but I'll be back to Costa Rica soon. I'm currently in Los Angeles promoting a smoothie with Erewhon, it's a collab smoothie. It's super exciting because it is the first animal-based smoothie ever. And Erewhon is traditionally something that I think of as having a plant-based audience like Los Angeles. So it's exciting that they're really enthusiastic about this collaboration. And the smoothie has raw uh, kefir in it from Raw Farms. I'm gonna go visit Raw Farms this week and make some content about how they make their raw milk, cheese, kefir. And then it has blueberries, banana, lacuma, it has heart and soil beef organs, heart and soil colostrum, and then whipped maple coconut cream. So if you're listening to this podcast, you wanna go check out the smoothie at Erewhon, let me know what you think about it and that's why I'm in Los Angeles right now. But back to oats and oatmeal. So here's the deal. Oats are a grain and grains are seeds and very, very high level. One of the things that I've always talked about with my work is that seeds are highly defended parts of plants. What else are things that are seeds? Well, traditionally seeds, poppy seeds, Pumpkin seeds, whatever other kind of seed you're eating is a seed, but also nuts are seeds. Almonds are seeds, walnuts, they're all seeds. Legumes, beans, they're seeds. If you plant them in the ground, they grow. And grains are seeds. This is another reason that I'm not a huge fan of grains. And I think that if you're going to do something in your diet and you've already cut out processed foods and seed oils, getting rid of grains, getting rid of all seeds, that is seeds, nuts, grains, and beans, is a very powerful thing that you can do to improve your health. Why do I think that? Aren't grains good for us? Well, if you listen to the US government or you listen to Harvard and their Mediterranean Diet Pyramid, they'll tell you to eat lots and lots of grains. But let's just take aim at oatmeal in this podcast and I'll branch out to a few things over the course of this discussion. So oats are a grain. They grow from an oat plant. They're not really what you find in the grocery store. Those are actually rolled oats, which are pressed. But if you've seen uh, regular oats that are not pressed like that, they look very differently oats are a grain. Now, what is my beef with oatmeal? So let's just assume that you are getting organic oats because I can talk about the pesticides in oats at the end of this podcast. And if you're not getting organic oats, there are tons of pesticides in there, including glyphosate, a well-known pesticide that's gotten a lot of press recently. And in fact, Quaker oatmeal was flagged for having some of the highest levels of glyphosate. And believe me, guys, I used to eat a lot of oats. I used to get tons of Quaker oatmeal I used to eat so many oats that I would get a 50 pound bag of oats from the local health food store, quote unquote, and they thought I was feeding a horse or something and I would just get so much oatmeal. And then for me personally, that correlated with recurrent stress fractures when I was running a lot. Just my observation, but I do think that the phytic acid in oats is a problem. So. What are the big problems with oats? So first thing that I have with oats that's a big issue is saponins. They're a defense chemical that I'm gonna talk about. They're also present in things like soybeans and quinoa. Many grains have saponins. They're triterpene glycosides, if you want the technical term, that make uh, soap. They make bubbles and they have this saponification quality when they are mixed with liquid. But they are a defense chemical, clearly. They're not there for any reason in oats or any reason in quinoa or any reason in soybeans other than to dissuade animals, insects, humans, from eating those things. Unfortunately, sometimes we are led astray, sometimes we are confused by health authorities, and we eat things like this, sometimes in great quantities, like I used to, or we're told that oatmeal is the best breakfast in the world, when in fact, it's probably pretty horrible for humans. So saponins are a problem, I'm gonna talk about those. Phytic acid is a problem. Phytic acid is a large molecule. Perhaps we can put a picture of phytic acid in the video here so you guys can see how big this molecule is. And it's naturally present in plants, doesn't occur in animals, and it chelates minerals. It's something that plants use to hold on to. chelate means to bite onto minerals. So what's the problem with phytic acid? Is that if you're eating oats or other grain-based foods, corn or beans that have high amounts of phytic acid, A lot of the minerals in the foods you eat with those phytic acid-containing foods are not going to be absorbed. If you guys follow my Instagram content or my other social media content, you've heard me talk about a famous study where oysters were given with corn tortillas. Now, if you eat an oyster, you can see the blood levels of zinc rise in in your body immediately because oysters are a very good source of bioavailable zinc. They're an animal food. And the minerals in animal foods tend to be much more bioavailable than those in plant foods because a lot of the minerals in plant foods are bound up by phytic acid or other things like oxalates, separate conversation. So if you eat oysters with corn, like a corn tortilla in the study, you don't absorb much of the zinc at all. You can see the levels of zinc in the blood only rise a little bit compared to the levels of zinc in the blood without corn. If you eat the tortillas with corn or beans, or and beans, then you will see essentially no absorption of the zinc, meaning that the phytic acid in the corn and beans completely abrogate, they completely abolish the body's ability to absorb and use zinc from one of the most highly bioavailable, most concentrated sources of zinc in the animal kingdom, oysters. So you can essentially rob your body of nutrients if you're eating these things together. Now, some people might say, this isn't a big deal, in the morning I just eat my oatmeal, uh, by itself and then i eat other foods throughout the day and this is this is true the phytic acid in the oatmeal is the biggest problem when you're eating it with other foods if you're eating your oatmeal with milk the phytic acid in the oatmeal will prevent the absorption of that calcium which is beneficial for your body or the absorption of the zinc in that milk which is beneficial for your body if you eat oats with meat you will present the absorption of iron or other divalent cations calcium iron magnesium selenium these are important things for the human body that will be diminished when you're eating Oats with these foods. Now, that's the phytic acid component. And there are ways to mitigate it, but phytic acid is only really degraded partially by cooking, meaning if you cook the oats, you're not going to get rid of it. So I'll go more into phytic acid in a moment. So so far, we have saponins, we have phytic acid, and then we also have mold toxins. And I'll talk about that. And then we have something that is really important in grains and actually overlaps to vegetables. And it's been a very interesting thing to research for this podcast heavy metals. What are heavy metals? Things like mercury, cadmium, arsenic, lead. Hopefully these names are not new to you guys. You've probably heard these things. I don't know how many of you were aware or old enough to remember the mercury filled thermometers that your mom told you not to bite into. It's a bad thing to get that mercury in your mouth or to ingest it, pretty toxic. I remember once when I was a kid in science class, someone broke when we were playing with mercury on the counter. Little did we know how toxic that mercury actually was. So mercury is a very, very problematic thing for humans, and it's in all sorts of foods, especially fish. Lead is a big deal. But one of the big ones with oats and many other grains, which I'll talk about, is cadmium. So what was interesting to discover in the research for this podcast is that plants preferentially take up these heavy metals from the soil. So if you are eating, or if one is eating a diet that is predominantly vegetarian, full of grains or seeds, nuts and beans, and leafy greens, well, those are the foods that are highest in heavy metals naturally occurring from the soil. So I'm about to break many of your hearts, so I am just doing this because I love you and I want you to know this information, take from it what you will, but chocolate is also heavily contaminated with heavy metals, and I'll talk about that in this podcast as well. It's not surprising because chocolate is, remember, made from a seed. The seed of the cacao plant is chocolate, and that takes up many heavy metals. So imagine that you think you are doing healthy things by eating oats, you're eating legumes, you're eating beans, you're eating leafy greens, and you're eating chocolate. It sounds like a traditionally healthy diet. If you went to your doctor and told them that that was a significant part of your diet, they might say, that's great. But you might also want to check your heavy metals, and you would definitely want to check your heavy metals if you were also eating that with fish. So I just think this is interesting because from the perspective of heavy metals, many of the foods that we are told are healthy, grains, leafy greens, chocolate, and fish relative to red meat, which is something I've talked about many times on previous podcasts, are all really high in heavy metals. And I did a podcast with um, someone else here in Los Angeles yesterday, and she was telling me that her heavy metals are quite high. Now, this is a woman who's recently lost a lot of weight and been quite successful at that. But I think that she perhaps traditionally was eating a lot of fish. And I think that In health circles, quote unquote, people are eating fish because they think it's healthier than beef for a variety of reasons, perhaps less saturated fat, which is not harmful for humans at all, I believe. But regardless, we know that fish, shellfish have significant levels of heavy metals. So just to talk about the fish for one moment before I dive into the details of the reasons I'm not a fan of oats and oatmeal even small fish, even anchovies, even sardines, even wild salmon contain significant amounts of heavy metals. It's gotten so bad that most people know you shouldn't eat things like shark, swordfish. Tuna is massively contaminated with heavy metals and mackerel, halibut, mahi-mahi. These fishes have significant amounts of heavy metals and that could be mercury, could be arsenic, it could be cadmium. The shellfish especially have high levels of cadmium, one of these heavy metals a problem and is in oats and grains that we'll talk about, which is kind of heartbreaking for those of us that like oysters. I used to love mussels and oysters and scallops. I just don't eat them that often anymore because of the heavy metal contamination and accumulation. So regardless of what your diet is, it's important to know where your heavy metal status is. And I think that there's easy tests to do to get a sense of that. I would start with just blood levels of heavy metals. You can get that through Great Plains. You can get that through a regular blood test. You can go to your lab core, your Quest, and get blood levels of mercury, cadmium, arsenic, and lead, I believe are the big four. You can tell where those levels are. You can also get urine levels of those heavy metals through Great Plains, or some of the more um, specific, sophisticated labs. And the urine levels might tell you more specifically about recent exposure versus long-term exposure, but know what's going on with your heavy metals. And if your levels are elevated, you're putting yourself at higher risk for basically everything that's problematic for humans. Dementia, infertility, birth defects or problems in your children if you're looking to conceive, um, problems if you're breastfeeding your kids. There are issues with hormonal balance. There are issues with cancers. There are issues with cardiovascular disease. So heavy metals are no joke. They're pervasive in our environment. But what I've learned is that in the last few hundred years with the industrial revolution, the amount of these heavy metals has become much more uh, dire, has increased significantly because of our industrialization. We're putting more of these heavy metals, whether it's mercury or arsenic or cadmium or lead into into the atmosphere which ends up in our water supply, which ends up in our dirt and our soil. So things grown in the soil can accumulate heavy metals as well. In fact, the numbers I saw suggested there were three to 10 times more of these heavy metals, especially cadmium in the environment, simply due to industrialization. Another thing that contributes to problems with our food supply is that phosphorus-based fertilizers, which must be used increasingly in our plant agriculture, because We are not raising animals and plants together as should be done. Um, The phosphorus-containing fertilizers are also contaminated with heavy metals and that increases things like cadmium in the environment. So let's just say this. This is not meant to be a doom and gloom podcast. None of my podcasts are. I, I keep coming back to this idea in my mind. Knowledge is power. Know better, do better. My goal is to give you information that helps you make better choices for your life, for your children's lives, for your future children's lives, for your spouse, for your partner, for your parents, for your friends' lives, because I really think that there is a way forward. We are all exposed to toxins. It is impossible to avoid this. But I think that the less toxins we get, the better our lives will be. I've previously talked about water. I did an episode of my podcast about contaminants in water. I did Instagram stories about contaminants in water and how why I use a reverse osmosis filter. Again, separate discussion. But what I've come to believe with regard to food is that ruminant animals, beef, bison, lamb, elk, deer, if you can get those meats, are some of the relatively cleanest foods on the planet. Fish have become polluted. It doesn't mean to say you can't eat any fish, or that you can't eat any chocolate, but just know that these foods are more contaminated with heavy metals, fish specifically PFAS, so parafluoroalkylated substances, microplastics, they're everywhere. So It's not that we can avoid these things, nor should we avoid them completely. But I think that if you navigate your life intentionally, this will result in better health for you and your family. And that's what it's all about. That's really what it's all about for all of you. That's why I do this work. So none of this work is meant to cause you to become despondent. I think that if there are pitfalls that I see, I would rather point those out and hopefully you can navigate them however you see fit. So that's the sort of framework for all of these discussions. I did a podcast, a few weeks ago or months ago about toxins in the home. And a lot of feedback I got on that podcast was that people were just overwhelmed. And I thought, okay, it's a lot for people, but I think our food choices are very central to our health and I hope this one isn't overwhelming for you. I can't live without it. Check out this review on beef organs from Heart and Soil Supplements from Rebecca P. I loved adding this to my diet. I'm off my thyroid medication, Hashimoto's. My thyroid-rich nails are strong and smooth again. Joint pain is gone, fatigue is gone, my skin has been glowing. I honestly can't imagine not having this in my routine. That is so cool. Beef Organs from Heart & Soil is now available at Erewhon in Los Angeles, which is amazing. It's the first time we're on the shelves, but if you don't live in Los Angeles, you can get it online at heartandsoil.co. It has heart, liver, kidney, spleen, and pancreas. All of our organs are grass-fed, grass-finished, regeneratively raised, and they are freeze-dried. This incredible process that preserves so many of the nutrients, All of our supplements are packaged in glass because plastic is bullshit. Don't wanna put more of that in the environment and microplastics are bullshit too. So check us out at heartandsoil.co for beef organs or any of our other desiccated organs and begin your health journey now. Our mission is to help you reclaim your birthright to radical optimal health. So let's start with saponins and dive in a little more into details regarding the science here. There are multiple studies Done in animal models and in cell culture, which pretty clearly show that saponins, these compounds—again, remember these are tri-terpene glycosides, which is just a fancy word for a fancy chemical molecule that occur in things like oats, quinoa, soybeans, etc.—these chemicals are very problematic for the gut. These are damaging to the gut, and that's really why they are designed. That's exactly that's exactly what they're meant to do. Saponins are meant to damage the gut. So. There are studies like this one, the title is the influence of saponins on gut permeability and active nutrient transport in vitro, that's in the test tube. So the authors of this study looked at four saponins and when the cell culture, which was um, meant to mimic the human gut, was exposed to these saponins, there were clear increases in transport across the membrane, which is essentially the equivalent of leaky gut, damage to the human gut. These results indicate that some saponins readily increase the permeability of the small intestinal mucosal cells, thereby inhibiting active nutrient transport and facilitating the uptake of materials to which the gut would normally be impermeable. Well, that is exactly what leaky gut is. And so I think that there are many studies like this showing that saponins are a problem for the gut, for humans especially. Here's another study which is talking about reducing the damage of the quinoa saponins on human gastric mucosa cells by heating process. Now, unfortunately, if you read the study, they weren't able to completely abrogate or remove the damage to the human gut, the human gastric mucosal cells, by heating them. Saponins are very resistant to degrade degradation by heating. And we know that these quinoa saponins are problematic for the human gut. So I don't understand, even just pausing here, how anyone can really believe that quinoa is benign for humans. I've done previous uh, posts on quinoa and shared my own anecdotes. Quinoa is not very easy to degrade or to digest, which is essentially the point of all these defense chemicals on these grains. And I know this is a podcast about oats, but it overlaps to quinoa. And the idea is that if you eat quinoa, unless you chew the heck out of that, you're gonna see that quinoa in your poop, meaning the quinoa has done essentially nothing for you. You've got no nutrients. All of those amino acids you think are beneficial in quinoa are not being absorbed because the point of that quinoa, that quinoa is a seed. That seed wants to live. And the whole point of that quinoa is to move through your gut and go out in your poop in a nice warm pile of fertilizer to grow somewhere else. So yes, you can sprout it. That will decrease some of the problems, but saponins are not degraded by heat they're still going to be there even if you sprout the grain. So people will say, what if I sprout the oats? What if I ferment the oats? Well, fermentation of the oats will help with phytic acid somewhat, but it won't help with the saponins. And heating won't help with the saponins from oats or quinoa. So you're just stuck with these defense chemicals. These defense chemicals also occur in things like potatoes. Solanine is a type of saponin. So these are prevalent in the plant kingdom. And understanding that these are damaging for your gut. And I believe that most human illness begins in the gut. There are nutrient deficiencies, there are things like seed oils which accumulate in our cell membranes. These cause metabolic harm, but I think most of the problems with plant foods and these chemicals that they have, these defense chemicals are on the human gut. They irritate the human gut, they cause activation of the immune system. They may even bind the TLR4 or TLR5 receptors, toll-like receptors in the gut, leading to inflammation cascades downstream, increasing things like cortisol, serotonin or estrogen which are negative in the human body. But regardless, there's pretty solid evidence that saponins are damaging to the human gut and that cooking doesn't degrade these compounds. How much of these are in oats? Articles like this, triterpenoid saponins in oat bran and their levels in commercial oat products. Talk to us about these levels. You can see here the total levels of 13 triterpenoid saponins varied from 1.7 to 18.2 micrograms per gram in 19 oat products in which oat bran and oatmeal had levels higher than cold oat cereal. Among the 11 commercial oat bran samples, the average total levels of 13 triterpenoid saponins in the five sprouted oat samples are slightly higher than those in regular oat bran products. So even sprouted oats don't avoid saponins. And really, there's not much of a way to avoid these saponins in your oats other than placing the oats where they belong, which I believe is in the trash can. You decide. And I love that in this study, the first line, they say oats are commonly consumed as whole grains, generally considered as a healthy food. However, the bioactive compounds in oats have not been fully investigated. (laughs) Yeah, this happens so often that we eat a lot of foods, especially plant foods as humans, that we're told are health foods, but many of the bioactive compounds in there have not been fully examined and are probably quite problematic for humans. In terms of animal research, there are many studies like this one, the biological actions of saponins in the animal systems A review. And in this study, you can see that these th- compounds can thus affect animals in a host of different ways, both t- positively and negatively. They are known to affect the reproductive systems of animals negatively. It says here, extensive research has been carried out into the membrane permeability, immunostimulant, hypocholesterolemic, I don't think that's a good thing, anti-carcinogenic properties of saponins, and they have been found to significantly affect growth, feed intake, and reproduction in animals. These structurally diverse compounds have also been observed to kill protozoans and molluscs, to be antioxidants, to impair digestion of protein, and the uptakes of vitamins and minerals in the gut, to cause hypoglycemia, which is not a good thing because glucose is a nutrient, and to act as antifungal and antiviral agents. So these saponins do many things, but they do many negative things along the way. And I think that taken in sum, the majority of the research suggests that these compounds are not beneficial for humans. Antinutrients, preventing digestion, worsening reproduction in animal models is not a good thing to be doing. There are many other things we can do which can give us beneficial effects that are talked about in these studies. And if you've heard any of my other podcasts, you know that I don't really worry about cholesterol the way that other people worry about cholesterol. That's a separate podcast. Oat saponins specifically have been studied to affect digestion of carbohydrates negatively. And studies like this suggest that the avenacides A and B, which are the two major saponins f- present in oats, may inhibit the digestion of lactose, leading to lactose intolerance. Uh, they could in- impair lactase, which is not a good thing. I have talked about milk and raw milk a lot. I think it's a quite a healthy thing for humans. And the idea that they could impair lactose, lactase enzyme and lead to lactose intolerance is another reason they're probably not great. And yet another study the effect of saponins and glycoalkaloids on the permeability and viability of mammalian intestinal cells and on the integrity of tissue preparations in vitro. The story is the same not good for the gut, causing inflammation, causing death of the intestinal cells, and causing leakiness to the cells. That is increased electrical potential across the cells and impairment of active transport, meaning the gut wants to take in certain things which are nutrients and it stops doing that. It allows many things across which can be problematic, either immunogenic, bacterial fragments, all sorts of things which can, which can trigger the immune system. So doesn't look like a good thing for the human gut or any of the cell culture models studied. An increase in the apparent permeability of the brush border was observed at sublethal concentrations of the compound. This may have important implications with respect to enhanced uptake of macromolecules such as allergens, whose passage through the epithelium is normally somewhat restricted. These studies consistently describe the phenomenon that we think of as leaky gut, which is the idea that if you damage the gut lining, allergenic compounds, whether it's fragments of bacterial cell walls, proteins, food molecules, can move across the epithelium of your gut be seen by the immune system, which which resides predominantly in the lamina propria on the human side of the gut and trigger immunity, which is essentially what I believe and what many people believe to be the genesis, the beginnings of autoimmunity in humans. So in summary, saponins, soapy molecules, on oats, on quinoa, on soybeans, on many grains in general, on legumes, inhibiting digestive enzymes, causing inflammation in the gut, causing leaky gut, inhibiting lactase, inhibiting fat, metabolism, and even the digestion of proteins, and being a very negative force, things that cannot be washed off very easily, things that cannot be degraded with heating or cooking. So with everything else aside, I think that this is a major reason not to eat oats in your life, but Let's just pause before we move on to the other pieces of oats, and I'll continue the hit parade, um, and say that when I did the oat stuff, many people pushed back, and some people made you know, critical videos, which I think is great, I like the discussions, um, kind of mocking me for saving people from oatmeal, that oatmeal is so dangerous. But I think that when we look at these defense chemicals, oatmeal is clearly a negative thing in your life. Why do people eat oatmeal in the first place? Well, it has carbohydrates, which I think are beneficial for humans, And people might think it keeps you full. That's going to be dependent on who you are. I've heard various reports. I don't know if I believe oatmeal really kept me full when I was a runner. It certainly tasted good with milk that I was drinking it with. Unfortunately, at that time, I didn't understand raw milk, and I was drinking it with pasteurized milk. So I could get a warm bowl of porridge, and it was nice after I went on a long bike ride. It was probably good to replenish my glycogen stores, but I didn't really understand with the saponins and other negative things in the oats were doing to my gut. I think there are much better ways to get your carbohydrates. So that is really the case here. Oats are a breakfast food. Very few people eat oats for lunch or dinner. So then the next step I think would be, what do you replace your morning oats with? And if you've seen my videos and what I eat in a day, you know that for breakfast, I usually have raw milk from goats or cows with some honey, maybe some fruit, maybe some coconut water. I usually go surf, then I eat some meat little more honey, raw milk, et cetera, some organs, either fresh or desiccated like hardened soil. And that's what I eat for breakfast. So I think that for some people, there's a divide. They're not interested in eating steak for breakfast. Fine, eat some eggs. I don't think there's any great way to eat porridge for breakfast, but you can make puddings. You can have yogurt, especially if it's a raw yogurt or a kefir. There are creamy things you can eat for breakfast. There are ways to get carbohydrates before your workouts, even if you're a massive athlete. And by massive athlete, I just mean an athlete of prowess, somebody that's a lot of calories. There are plenty of ways to get enough calories into your life and enough carbohydrates specifically without oats. And I think that the benefit long-term is to your gut and an absence of accumulation of all the other things I'm going to talk about next, which are things like mold toxins, things like phytic acid and heavy metals in the oats. So let's then talk about cadmium and heavy metals and oats, which this was kind of an eye-opener for me. And it led me down some rabbit holes where I went to the dreaded hamlet of chocolate hating, which no one wants to hear about. In this podcast I did yesterday in Los Angeles, uh, the host of the podcast asked me if I thought chocolate and the chocolate bar was bullshit or not. And I immediately felt like I had to plead the fifth because there are some things that I talk about on my social media that I know, even though I believe that I can show significant evidence that these things are harmful for humans, the majority of people simply don't want to hear this. They don't want to know these things are harmful for them. This would be things like chocolate and coffee, but I still feel compelled to talk about why I think they're harmful for humans. So I'll get to that in a moment as I talk about cadmium and oats. But I was really surprised to see the amount of cadmium in oats specifically, but also cadmium in plant foods and even things like leafy greens and other grains. So plants take up these heavy metals preferentially as part of their growing process. And this is interesting to me because I hadn't even thought about this as a problem for humans when they're eating salads or eating leafy greens, heavy metals in leafy greens? We don't think about that. We think about heavy metals in fish. But if you really look at the research, there's significant amounts of cadmium and other heavy metals in leafy greens. In fact, today, I believe on my social media, we're posting a reel about thallium and kale. And thallium is another type of heavy metal that has been found in kale. And this is a big deal because no one really talks about heavy metals in plant foods. And so this is a very interesting aside, a very interesting thing to discover. And before I get into these heavy metals and oats, I just mentioned briefly that throughout all my research, again, nothing is safe, nothing is free from heavy metal contamination or other types of contamination, but I do believe that ruminant meat and organs and the fruit of plants are the least toxic foods. And yes, there are small amounts of heavy metals in animal meat and small amounts in animal organs, but the amount of liver that I eat per day, an ounce, half an ounce, doesn't compare in scale, it actually has less heavy metals per weight basis. And I eat an ounce or half an ounce of liver and get tons of nutrients because the nutrients are so concentrated in these things. People are eating hundreds of grams of grains a day, whether it's rice or oats or wheat or quinoa, hundreds of grams. And they're eating probably hundreds of grams of leafy greens if you're eating many salads, be it lettuce, spinach, which we know is problematic for oxalates, or kale, or other leafy greens, these all accumulate some type of heavy metal. And so it's just, I think for humans, the idea that if you make the majority of your diet plant foods, and heaven forbid you make the majority of your diet plant foods and fish, that you're going to run into problems with heavy metals and probably problems with digestive enzyme inhibitors and gut issues. And it's interesting because a lot of people don't understand why they continue to feel sick. Some people may be fine on the type of diet and more power to you. Why change anything if you're thriving? But I do this work for people who are struggling, but think they are eating a healthy diet of vegetables and fish, et cetera. Again, this isn't to say you can't eat any fish ever, or you shouldn't have chocolate from time to time, but just know that I don't think those are the optimal foods for humans. And I think that the more of the optimal foods you eat, you're essentially signaling to your body that you're a better hunter, you're having more success, and you're avoiding toxins as you're getting nutrients. That's the equation that I've always come back to is the more bioavailable nutrients you can get with the fewest amount of toxins, the more we thrive as humans. This is pretty clear. And consistently, even though my views on carbohydrates have changed, I used to believe that carbohydrates were a problem for humans, now I believe they're very beneficial for humans. I've consistently come back to solving that equation with animal meat and organs, and now fruit and honey, raw dairy, as the best sources of bioavailable nutrients with the least amount of toxins. So heavy metals and oats. Studies like this one, a major gene for grain cadmium accumulation in oats. The fancy name for oats is Avena sativa. And you can see that in this abstract, the authors say cadmium is a non-essential heavy metal, highly toxic to living cells at very low concentrations. Most of the cadmium in plants derives from soils. Owing to the large amounts consumed, cereals are the major source of dietary cadmium, and cadmium content in oat can exceed accepted limits. This is a 20, uh, this is a 2007 paper, and I just thought that was so striking that I will read it again. Most of the cadmium in plants derives from soils, and mention of the cadmium in the soil three to 10 times is because of the industrialization that we have had happen in the last few hundred years. Owing to the large amounts of cereals consumed, they are the major dietary source of cadmium. So the major dietary, dietary source of cadmium in the human diet is cereal grains. Let that sink in. Cereal grains are the major dietary source of cadmium in the human diet, a non-essential heavy metal, which is toxic to humans in very low doses, and the amount of cadmium you're getting in your diet if you're eating significant amounts of oats, wheat, quinoa, beans, and leafy greens can easily exceed acceptable limits. Now, what are acceptable limits? The US allows up to five micrograms per kilogram of body weight of cadmium per week, and the EFSA, is half of that, 2.5 micrograms of cadmium per kilogram of body weight per week. So you can do your calculation if you really wanna get geeky about it, but suffice it to say that if you look at the amount of cadmium in oats and lettuce, and I'll show some data on that in a moment, it's pretty easy to exceed those values consistently if you're eating lots of grains, if you're eating oatmeal for breakfast, quinoa for lunch, and a salad for dinner, which is something people may certainly do, and oh my goodness, if you're eating Shellfish with your dinner of salad, you're getting a lot of cadmium that could easily exceed five micrograms per kilogram per week. What's the point? What's wrong with cadmium? Well, as I talked about earlier, there's clear evidence, and I'll show literature to support this, that cardiovascular disease, infertility, hormonal imbalance, dementia, cancers, basically everything bad about being a human, all of our chronic diseases are associated with high levels of heavy metals as well as other issues I've talked about in the past, seed oils, things like this. So if you want to thrive, you want to avoid heavy metals in your life as much as possible. If you're very interested in this topic, which I hope you have some interest in this topic, I found this review paper to be really good. The toxicity of cadmium and its health risks from leafy vegetable consumption. How come the vegans don't tell us about this? This is crazy. This is a 2017 paper. And again, the authors of this paper say an overview of cadmium pollution in leafy vegetables, as well as the main sources of cadmium, are given. Leafy vegetable consumption has been identified as a dominant exposure pathway of cadmium in the human body. When was the last time anyone told you that about eating a salad? This is wild. Now, if you read this paper, you can see that cadmium occurs 0.1 to 1 milligram per kilogram in the soils, air, and water. And that, again, three to 10 times more cadmium due to the industrial revolution, and non-smokers have diet and house dust as the main source of cadmium exposure. The EPA lists cadmium as one of 126 priority pollutants. Adverse effects of excess cadmium, carotid atherosclerosis, which is essentially cardiovascular disease, peripheral artery disease, myocardial infarction, again, stroke, heart failure, many other issues, and they say that cadmium is higher in roots than shoots, but in numerous leafy vegetables, lettuce and endives, cadmium is stored in the leaves due to its high uptake and translocation. I used to think that lettuce was benign, but now I'm a little worried about cadmium in lettuce and cadmium in roots as well. Um, roots certainly have been eaten historically by hunter-gatherer populations, but I also believe that the soils those roots were grown in may not have been as contaminated as they are today. The authors of this paper say it's estimated that daily consumption through food material is an average of 10 to 30 micrograms in different countries. Its concentration in vegetables ranged from 0.001 to 0.124 milligrams per kilogram in some reference areas. This is out of the actual vegetables, kilograms of the vegetables. Again, fertilizer sources like phosphorus-based fertilizers increase the amount of cadmium, They say cadmium in soil was estimated to have increased by seven to 43% as a result of fertilizer applications. Why are we using fertilizers? Because we are over farming the land. So cadmium is clearly present in grains. It's in oats, it's in many other grains. It's also in leafy greens from lettuce and endives and can accumulate in humans, causing massive problems. One of those problems we talked about was all the cardiovascular disease. Cadmium also appears to be problematic in terms of breast cancer, in terms of other cancers. Cadmium induces mitogenic signaling, which is a growth signal in cancer cells by an estrogen receptor alpha-dependent mechanism. Cancers are probably fueled by cadmium, and cadmium appears to mimic estrogen in the human body, something that really none of us want more of. Here's another paper talking about cadmium and arsenic in grains. The authors state cereals are a staple food for many people around the world. They're also a major source of toxic metalloids. This is interesting to me because this is never talked about. Many agricultural regions throughout the world are heavily contaminated with toxic metalloids, which can accumulate to high levels in the grains of cereals. Cultivated in these regions, posing serious health risks to consumers. Arsenic cadmium efficiently accumulated in cereals through metal transport pathways, et cetera. So there's no question that these metals accumulate in grains. And yet, when was the last time you were told that you should worry about cadmium in your morning oatmeal? What about in the United States? Are there levels of cadmium in soils in the United States that are problematic? Looking at assays of this, like this one, cadmium levels in soils and crops in the United States, I think there are. If you really want to get into the details, you can read the article and look at the actual amounts. They say the concentration of cadmium in non-contaminated agricultural soils in the U.S. range from 0.1 to 1.0 milligram per kilogram. There are other regions which are worse, and they say that the agricultural fertilizers Have increased the amount of cadmium in the soil. So even in the United States, which wouldn't necessarily be considered a massive problem area for cadmium contamination in the soil, there are many areas, in fact, I would say nearly pervasive amounts of cadmium in the soil that can lead to excess or significant accumulation in grains and some of these leafy greens, causing problems for humans. Now, taking all this into account, we might ask, well, how much are people actually getting in their diets? A survey in Europe, cadmium in soils, crops, and resultant dietary exposure estimates it to be just below the threshold set as safe by the uh, EFSA, the European Food Safety Administration. So that's not good. The WHO and FAO jointly concluded that the tolerable weekly intake is 5.8 micrograms per cadmium per kilogram of body weight in Europe, EFSA said 2.5, and the amount estimated in Europe was 2.04 micrograms per kilogram body weight per week below the reduced limit, but, They say the average exposure for infants and the 95th percentile exposure for adults was estimated to be in excess of the reduced total tolerable intake, which led the EFSA to conclude there was a need to reduce the intake of cadmium via dietary exposure. Basically, you can significantly decrease your intake of cadmium from dietary exposure by limiting grains and many of these leafy greens. And here's an article from the Environmental Defense Fund saying too much cadmium in letting kids' food According to estimates by the FDA, this is from 2019, the results for cadmium are new and worrisome. The authors say an estimated daily intake are three to four times greater than lead. While the FDA has not set a maximum daily intake level for cadmium, the average young child exceeds most of the relevant daily exposure limits set by other agencies. Clearly, cadmium warrants greater attention, but note the evidence of neurotoxicity is still emerging. You can see here the levels of cadmium, based on the FDA's survey from 2014 to 2016, one to six years, one to three years, four to six years, the lead and the cadmiums were here, 7.8 micrograms per day, 5.8 micrograms per day, 6.8 micrograms, something around, around that region is going into our kids, at least in 2019. And again, most of this is preventable and avoidable by just removing the kid's food that is the least nutrient rich, and the most likely to cause gut issues like oats and grains, things like this. So I don't get it. But anyway, it's pretty clear that cadmium is a problem and oats contain cadmium and they accumulate it. I'll just show one more link from the EFSA in an article. The EFSA sets tolerable intake level for cadmium in food from 2009. This is the European Food Safety Administration, not a... Um, presumably biased, and they're saying vegetarians who eat relatively high amounts of foods containing cadmium, including cereals like oats, nuts, oil, seeds, and pulses, which are beans, were estimated to have an average weekly exposure of up to 5.4 micrograms per kilogram of body weight. Panel also stated that locally produced food in highly contaminated areas may lead to higher exposure levels. Furthermore, dietary exposure could be higher for children than adults due to the greater amount of food consumed by children in relation to their body weight. So Cadmium is a problem, but it's easily avoidable if we think about the sources of food in our diets. Before I move away from heavy metals, I do want to bring up the concerning fact that lead and cadmium are in chocolate. This is from Consumer Reports, a generally non-biased source, 2022, December 15th, so less than a year ago. And if you look at what they did, they looked at heavy metal amounts in 28 chocolate bars, and what they found was not good. They looked at a variety of brands, big and small brands, and you can see here that some of the safest choices include things like Mast, which only had 14% of the recommended uh, allowed uh, lead, 40% of cadmium. Taza Giardelli had 61 and 96, and Valrona had 63 and 73%, respectively, for cadmium and lead. But it's important to understand that those percentages are percentages of the maximum allowable dose level for lead and cadmium. So it's important to note that this is just one ounce of the chocolate that's being surveyed for these amounts of heavy metals. And as they say in this Consumer Reports article, consistent long-term exposure to small amounts of heavy metals can lead to developmental issues, uh, brain development, lower IQ, and behavioral issues in kids, and again, Look at these maximum allowable dose levels, 0.5 micrograms for lead, 4.1 micrograms for cadmium. I believe this is for one ounce of chocolate. Only five chocolate bars were below 100% of that for one ounce of chocolate. That's just lead and cadmium. What if you're eating oatmeal? What if you're eating other things? Look at the other high in cadmium chocolate bars, almost every single one. In fact, every single one beyond good, 112% of cadmium in one ounce. Lint, 116, equal exchange, 120%. Alter Eco, 204% of the cadmium in one ounce of chocolate. Pasha, 253% of cadmium in one ounce. High in lead, Tony's, Lily's, um, Chocolate, strong, dark chocolate love, Chocolate love, Godiva, Lint, endangered species, Hue. This is the one specifically that I was asked about on the podcast. 210% allowable for lead. I mean, the list goes on. Every single Bar, tested, high in both lead and cadmium, Theo, Trader Joe's, lilies, green and black. Every single chocolate bar had significant amounts of lead and cadmium in it. This is an epidemic in my opinion. How many ounces of chocolate is your child eating? How many ounces of chocolate are you eating? How much heavy metals do you have in your body? Anyway, no one wants to know about heavy metals and chocolate, but I have to talk about that because it is such a striking thing. And I think that it is accumulating in people and causing many issues. And I was astounded when I read about it. So so far we've talked about saponins and heavy metals. Phytic acid is also a problem in oats. What is phytic acid? Like I said, it's a large molecule that chelates minerals, and it's not degraded entirely with cooking. So if you're eating oats with something that you're hoping to get minerals from, that's going to inhibit the absorption of those things in your human body. Here's an article: Phytase activity in the human and rat small intestine. The takeaway here is that significant consumption of phytic acid can lead to mineral deficiencies in humans. As it says here, excessive ingestion of undergraded phytates can cause mineral deficiencies in humans. And another study shows that phytate can inhibit trypsin activity. Trypsin is a digestive enzyme in the human gut and is necessary for the digestion of proteins. So it's clear that phytic acid presents problems for humans. It is a defense chemical in some ways from plants, and it is present in oats in high amounts, not degraded entirely with cooking, perhaps more by fermentation. So if you're going to ferment your oats, that's better. But again, fermentation won't degrade saponins. Fermentation won't get rid of heavy metals. Now, that's just phytic acid. We can also talk about pesticides. There are many pesticides in your oats if they're not organic. Glyphosate. There are things like chlormaquat. Prepyrethroid pesticides are also a problem in oats. Atrazine is present in oats. It's really not even worth talking about it much because if you're eating oats and they're not organic, that's an easy fix, but in case you have questions, there is some data from the Environmental Working Group looking for Roundup. I love the title of this article, Roundup for Breakfast. In uh, kids' cereals, they found the weed killer in so many of the samples tested, 28 samples tested, 28 glyphosate detections, detections above EWG's benchmark of 160 parts per billion, or 26 of the 28, and these are types of foods like granola, instant oats, which had significant amounts, overnight oats, Quaker overnight oats had very significant amounts. You can see here that oats breakfast cereal, the Quaker oatmeal, squares, brown sugar, had 2,746 parts per billion of glyphosate, significant amounts of glyphosate. The Quaker oatmeal, squares, honey nut, had 2,837 parts per billion of the glyphosate. So. Every single thing tested, and these are almost all from Quaker oats, but some of them are others. Chocolate Cheerios had 826 parts per billion. Frosted Cheerios had glyphosate. So there is glyphosate contamination, which is pervasive in many of these oat-based cereals. Yet another reason that I'm not a fan of oats. And perhaps the last one is mold contamination in oats. Now, this is important because this affects essentially all grains. If you are eating rice, if you are eating wheat, if you are eating oats, these are going to have some mold. Now, this is the benefit of fresh foods, fresh meat, fresh organs, fresh fruit. Things that are stored a long amount of time are going to accumulate mold. And we know that there are mycotoxins found in oats. Fusarium toxins, HT2 and T2 are common in oats, followed by deoxy. Nivalenol and xerolinone. You can see that in this article from Food and Feed Analysis. Beware of Mycotoxins in Oats from 2019. Consumption of oats in North America has been increasing for several years. With their high content of vitamins, minerals, and fiber, they are valuable addition to the diet, maybe, but they also contain dangerous mycotoxins. So here you can see fusarium toxins, D-O-N, which is deoxy, nivalenol and xerolinone, in recent years, high levels of T1 and HT2, which are from fusarium mold, have been found regularly in oats, particularly in Northern Europe. In addition, there was an alert of toxin A in organic oats from the Czech Republic. Because of their toxic effects, most relevant microtoxins are re- regulated by law, and these are controlled, but these will occur in oats the majority of the time. Some mold is going to occur there. So for so many people that are listening to this, I know they're having autoimmune issues, issues with their gut. And it doesn't make sense to me for anyone to be eating grains that are stored for any amount of time if you have issues with mold, issues with your gut, issues with mood, issues with sleep, issues with hormones because of these mold toxins. Here's another study, the metabolism of the HT2 toxin and the T2 toxin in oats. Again, these are from Fusarium mold. They're frequent contaminants in oats. It's just, it's right there at the beginning of the abstract. And one more study, the titles really tell it all natural co-occurrence of multiple mycotoxins and unprocessed oats grown in Ireland. You've got a list of mycotoxins, which is incredibly long. They're impossible to pronounce, but you can see them here if you're watching on the video. The list is incredibly long. And so many of these, including the same fusarium toxins and many, many others. So I think that the takeaways for me as I'm thinking about oats are that you shouldn't be eating them. <laughs> They're not a good breakfast food. And let's just summarize why. Saponins defense chemicals, soapy molecules, tripartiterpene glycosides, not able to be degraded with cooking, damaging the human gut, problematic in terms of digestion of lactase, problematic in terms of digestion of fats and proteins, potentially inhibiting trypsin. And these also occur in quinoa and other grains. So saponins, you've got heavy metals, cadmium and lead, which also occur in chocolate and leafy greens. You've got pesticides if the oats are not organic, glyphosate, 2,4-D, atrazine, chlormaquat, pyrethroid, so many. You've got huge occurrence of glyphosate across many types of oat cereals, parts per billion, which massively exceed at least what the environmental working group thinks is acceptable for humans. We're never going to avoid glyphosate completely, but limiting it is probably a good idea. You've got mold toxins, and you've got phytic acid. Why would you eat oats? I just don't get it. And I think it's funny that people would make videos criticizing me and saying, oh, he's protecting you from oats, when I think there's a lot of reasons not to eat these foods and a lot of people feel better when they are not eating oats and oatmeal for breakfast. There are many ways to get your carbohydrates that are just fine. Uh, Fruit, honey, all that kind of stuff. So um, just looking at the comments and the questions recently, I wanted to address a few things as I wrap up the podcast. I want to do another podcast soon on appeal. This is the substance now being applied to fruit and vegetables that is derived from grapeseed oil. They call it mono and diglycerides, and it does appear to have contaminants, at least some palladium, some mercury, some arsenic. It's almost certainly oxidized. Again, it's from grapeseed oil, so it's a source of linoleic acid. It's essentially seed oils on your fruits and vegetables as if you weren't getting enough seed oils, but that's a peel, I'll do a podcast on that. Some people have asked about deuterium in fruit, and I think that there's some interesting evidence about deuterium being able to be managed depending where you are on the equator. And I think that when I'm at a lower equatorial value, closer to the equator in Costa Rica, I definitely feel more inclined to eat fruit. So Maybe there is something to that, that's a whole other podcast. I haven't talked about deuterium in a long time, predominantly because I have not found a ton of evidence (laughs) that is really solid regarding deuterium measurements in foods, and I think it's a lot of hand-waving stuff. When I first talked about deuterium a few years ago, I was pretty disappointed in the sort of the reproducibility of the studies and the actual science supporting many of the claims around deuterium. But I think that there's maybe something to deuterium and fruit and that perhaps the more sun you're getting, the more able you are to deal with the deuterium, which may make sense from a naturalistic law perspective that if you're closer to the equator, in warmer climates, you're eating more fruit, and in other times of the year, you may eat less fruit, or if you live further from the equator, you're eating less fruit. I just think if you're eating less fruit, your carbohydrates will need to come from sources that are clean. Again, just like this podcast talked about, I don't think oats or grains are a great source of these things, so be aware of these things in your food. And as I frame all of my discussions, if you're thriving, don't change anything about your diet. I do this work for those of you that are continuing to suffer and looking for answers, and I think it's fun to remain curious. And the podcasts give me an opportunity to sort of talk about ideas in my head, to share some research which supports them, and to open the discussions to all of you. So hopefully this is helpful. If you find this content helpful, please like, please subscribe if you're on YouTube, please like if you're on any of the other programs, and share it with people in your life that you think may benefit from this content. And if you're on YouTube, leave me some comments at the bottom about what you think you'd like to hear about in the future on the podcast. See you guys.